In this week's In-Ear Insights, let's talk about data privacy and generative AI. It is no secret that for many of the tools that are out there, those tools are looking for more data to train on, to get better feedback from users to say, this was a good response, this was a bad response. Sometimes with not dubious consent, but with consent that is deeply buried or implicit. So for example, about a year ago now, X, the service formerly known as Twitter, changed its terms of service and said, hey, we're going to use your data to, tr to train our AI on. And the only way to opt out is to cancel your account. There are many, many other services out there. The golden rule that we have said for 20 years now is if you are not paying, you are the product. And that has no never been more true in the age of generative AI. So Katie, last week, you did a seminar with marketing profs. And one of the questions folks had was like, what should I be thinking about? when it comes to data privacy and generative AI. So you want to recap sort of how things went with that in terms of your perspective on it? Yeah, absolutely. And so it's a really good question. I'm glad that people are asking it because if you're not asking about your data privacy and security, then to your point, Chris, you are the product. Um, so the question was around the GPT models. So chat GPT, Anthropic Claude, so on and so forth. And they were asking, you know, what do I need to know about privacy and data security? How do I protect my information? And so it's a layered response because it really depends on your specific use case. But at the very least, you should have a good grasp of what uh, personally identifiable information covers and what kind of confidential information you don't want to share about your company, because those are two different things. Uh, so PII is a lot of what you would probably get out of your CRM, your customer relationship management system. And so that's a lot of first name, last name, address, phone number, uh, any sort of biometrics, demographics, those type, that type of information. You don't want to put that information into a publicly available custom model that you're basically paying a subscription for. That kind of information is not appropriate to go in there unless you have a privately held secure custom GPT model on your own servers. The, answer, the reason for that is because then you can be assured that the data is not going anywhere but your system. And then confidential information like your company's financials, competitors, that kind of stuff, stuff that you wouldn't want shared publicly is also data that you probably shouldn't be putting in publicly available uh, GPT models, generative AI models rather, not GPT models, because it then uses that data to train for other people when they have questions about that kind of stuff. And it might be like, you know, if I say, well, who are my competitors? It might be like, you're similar to Chris Penn and Chris Penn's competitors are this. And you're like, oh, wow, those are Chris Penn's competitors. Great. I'm going to take all of them and him down. And so it just, it becomes, it puts you at a slight disadvantage if you're sharing too much information about your company accidentally. Yeah. The, I mean, the golden rule is, is read the terms of service. They're boring, but the, it's, it's important. Sure. In fact, one of the things you can and should do is anytime you're signing up for any piece of software, like no one enjoys reading the terms of service, but you don't have to select all copy, go to chat GPT, hit paste and say, read these terms of service. What do what 
permissions am I giving this company to my data? Right? And it will say, hey, on you know, in this line and this line of things, there's it looks like you're giving all your data, you know, your, your company permission to use your data for anything you want. Like if you go into Meta's terms of service, anytime you post on Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, threads, etc., by the terms of service, Meta can use that data for whatever they want. And it this is a little bit of a digression, but it kills me when I see people on Facebook. They put every like, I think at least once a year, this circulates and people will say, <laughs> by putting this here on my profile, I do not give Facebook permission to use my photos or data. Of, and that's not I how really contracts want Yeah, I'm like, but you're on the platform. You've already agreed to it. That's like Michael Scott saying, I declare bankruptcy. Like it doesn't just magically happen. There's a whole process that you have to go through and you've already agreed to the thing. And so I, I agree with you. Now, let me ask you this. Is it ironic that you're suggesting that people use ChatGPT to read the terms and services to know what data ChatGPT is using of theirs? I don't know if it's ironic per se, but it is, I think if it's the choice between just not reading the terms of service and having a machine read it for you. I definitely have the machine read it for you because it varies. It varies so much. Mm -hmm. So just with chat GPT, the free version trains on your data by default, but there is a setting to turn it off. The paid mm -hmm. version trains on your data unless you turn that setting off. The Teams version does not train on your data by default. The Enterprise version does not train on your data. The API does not train on your data. So you have to go in and read through these things. If you are a, a company that use, is a Microsoft shop and you're using Azure AI, Azure AI, uh, per the normal terms of service, does not train on your data. Right. So there's so you could run a the the enterprise version of chat GPT inside Microsoft Azure, and then your data is protected. With Claude, the free version trains on your data. The paid version, I don't know, I've never paid for it. So it's in the terms of service. But even at the like the lowest level paying plans, a lot of companies will say that you, you, you were saying that there's a setting even in Adobe Photoshop for because Adobe has its own image generation model called Firefly. What did you find in those settings? So I saw someone posted about this the other day and I was and I've only just started using Adobe Photoshop again. And they have a generative AI toolbar within the system where you can like use it to assist with editing photos or creating or whatever it is. But it never occurred to me that this was yet another example where they were using your data. So someone posted, hey, everybody who's using Adobe Photoshop, check your data and privacy settings. They're using your information to train their data set. And I was like, geez, here we go again. So I went into just this morning, my Adobe account under data and privacy settings, and there it is. So it's a setting called content analysis. So I can actually share my screen. I'm not as swift with Chris about this. Here we go. So it's the data and privacy settings. It's this box here. It's content analysis for those listening. Uh, Adobe may analyze your content using techniques such as machine learning to develop and improve our products and services. If you prefer Adobe not to analyze your files to develop and improve our products and services, you can opt out of content analysis at any time. The setting does not apply to in certain limited circumstances and you can click to learn more. So I just turned mine off. Um, but then I would recommend going to the content analysis FAQ to find out more about it. Like, what is it doing? And then more specifically, it mentioned, what are the circumstances where this does not apply, uh, where it's going to be using your information? So Adobe Photoshop improvement program, 
This allows you to submit images to help improve machine learning based features. That makes sense to me because you're saying, hey, I'm giving you my stuff, Adobe stock content submitted to contributors for to Adobe stock, uh, certain features that allow you to submit content as feedback, certain beta pre-release and early access products or features. So I, I, Chris, I'm with you. I would definitely be careful because Adobe Photoshop isn't one of those systems that you automatically think they must be looking at my information. You're like, I'm just editing photos. What does machine learning care about that? But clearly it does, especially that they now that they have it built in, you really need to make sure that you're careful about what information you're sharing, because there may be you know, assets and images that are confidential that can't be shared, or you just want to, you know, hold on to your proprietary artwork. Exactly. And I think it's important too to, to explain to folks, there's two ways this information will be used, two very broad techniques. One is called fine tuning, one is called retrieval augmented generation. Fine tuning is what a lot of language models use your data for. So when you use chat GPT and you interact with it and it returns a response and, and you continue to interact with it, what they are doing is they're going to take that data and, and retrain the model to say like, hey, this is your first response. Here's what the user said in return. It clearly was not sufficient because you kept having this conversation. And so that that input output paired set of responses is used to, to retune the model. The model is basically said, hey, when you are told this, respond like this because it's a better way to respond, right? So that's called reinforcement learning with human feedback. And it's part of the fine tuning process. That does, to some degree, add new data to the model, because obviously, if you respond like, hey, who are the competitors of Trust Insights? And, you know, Katie responds, well, no, that's our competitors. These are our actual competitors. That information can become part. But it's fine tuning is not used primarily to add data to a model. It's primarily used to get a model to behave more like the way the user wanted. The second thing is called retrieval augmented generation. This is where if you use custom GPTs or even just chat GPT and you uploaded your own documents, what you are doing is you are saying to the model, hey, you don't know this apparently because you keep giving me that wrong answer. So here's a bunch of new data. Like It's like adding new books to the library. And that in turn makes the model able to answer some questions uh, better because it has more information. Most AI companies will not use that data for retrieval augmented generation because it, it's kind of it's questionable whether it's, you know, how good the quality is. And also there could be very serious legal issues with using that data, depending on you know, what it is. Most model companies are going to use the fine tuning stuff, the interactions to make the models respond better. But to your point, it is still teaching the model in some cases, this is more correct. So if a model hallucinates a whole bunch of competitors for Trust Insights and says, hey, we compete with ExxonMobil and Verizon, like, no, by telling it we compete with, McKinsey or Bain or BCG, we are implicitly saying this is the correct answer. And therefore, mm -hmm. you are giving away some of that information. So it's important to have that understanding of what, how that information is probably being used behind the scenes. Let me ask you this question. Let's take AI out of the context of the conversation and just talk about, you know, end user agreements and data privacy for a second. How is this any different from Google having the market share of search engines and anytime I search for something using that information to fill SEO tools and keyword tools. You know, we a couple of years ago, everybody was buzzing about the cookie less future and, you know, can cookies follow you around? How is this 
obviously the tech is different, but how is this any different from any of those conversations? It's absolutely no different. It is absolutely no different. It's no different than the conversations people have about privacy and data on social media and what social media companies can use it for. This is one of the reasons why a lot of people making a lot of noise right now, uh, you know, about saying like, hey, our model, your, your models are trained on all this stuff that you, you don't have rights to. If you if you think of even for two seconds about it, they already the big tech companies already have this data. Open AI had to build it from like common crawl and stuff like that. But Google has Gmail, Google Search, YouTube, Android, Chrome, and so on and so forth. Facebook, mm -hmm. I mean, Meta has Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, Threads, etc. So the big tech companies already have all that data. And to your point about these end user license agreements, people who are you know artists who are saying, oh, but you're using my art without copyright. Yeah, if you loaded it to Facebook or Instagram, you gave them the license to use it. Yeah. You can't take it back. Once you give it to them, you can't take it back. So it's in the model. Yes. Did they scrape it off? If they, if they scraped it off your website, yeah, then, they, then they may have used it without permission. But if you put it on any of their services, they have your permission. But then you think about, so to your, that example of, if you put it on your website, who's hosting the website, who, you know, what servers is the website on, you know, what tools are we using to build the website and what are their end user license agreements as well. And so we're talking about it in the context of open AI and, G and generative AI and all of these, you know, seemingly new systems that are suddenly using your data. But guess what? They've been using your data for years. They don't suddenly need to throw in a generative AI toolbar in order to get that information. Anytime you put your, you know, you Google, you know, you know, what is this lump on my big toe? Google is collecting that information. It has location information. It has demographic information because you by default have set up some kind of Google profile. Now, if the information is correct or not, it's a whole other, you know, conversation, but it has some information about you. it. To your point, Chris, if you're using Gmail, if you think Google's not reading your email, you are sorely mistaken. And, you know, not to get all like Ron Swanson, I don't trust tech or the government or people, but tech is reading all your stuff. You have no privacy if you're using tech. Now, I don't have smart devices in my home in the sense of I don't have like an Alexa or a Siri or one of those, but I have a cell phone and conversations that I've had somewhere in the vicinity of my cell phone have been picked up and I'm getting ads for things that I should not necessarily be getting ads for like ridiculous things. And, you know, if, if, if I'm here thinking like, well, I don't have a smart home, I'm safe. I'm wrong. You know, it's going to get the information one way or another. And with a lot of the ad tech stuff, the, I mean, a lot of people do believe that their devices are listening to them. Certainly, if you have a smart device like Alexa, yes, I mean, it's it's in the terms of service. It's listening to you. It's what with it's supposed to do. Hmm? It's exactly. what it's supposed, supposed to do. <laughs> um, with the whole, is my phone listening to me? The the data that's been collected and the, the studies have been done show that, no, it's not actually listening to you, but what is happening is that where you browse on the internet in your browser history is so rich and so complete and so thorough over a long period of time that the models that are used to predict 
what ads show you are highly effective. And because there's so much, I mean, anyone who's done any MarTech using lookalike audiences knows this. You can Your mm -hmm. lookalike audiences can be incredibly powerful. So even if, Katie, you have never typed in a search bar, you know, chicken hats for my dog, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but you've had that conversation. But your profile is so thorough and your browsing history is so thorough that someone else who types in chicken hats for my dog, they're like, hey, these two profiles are like a 99% match. Let's show Katie the chicken hats for the dog because Katie's friend Anne just searched for chicken hats for a dog, right? That's how that works. It's, it's yeah. people are like, people are unaware of how much data you are sharing to your point mm -hmm. and B, how similar in many ways we all are such that if you have a good cohort of people who are very similar, what one person does, the other people in that cohort are probably going to do, right? If you and all of your friends are, are very, very similar and one of you searches for Taylor Swift tickets for the next concert, guess what? Everyone else in that cohort probably can be shown the same ad and mm -hmm. like 90% of you are like, yeah, I want that. Well, you know, and it's, I think that there's, I think it's good and we should probably get into a different episode to really sort of explain these things. But if you're watching a streaming service like Netflix or Hulu, and if you're like me, as you're watching the show, you're like, where do I know that person from? That sounds familiar. Haven't I heard this storyline before? You start searching for that information. And all of a sudden, you know, your search engine, likely Google is like, it already knows that that's what you're going to search for. Like you put in one letter and the whole thing comes up and you're like, oh my God, it knows that I'm watching or it's in my brain. How did it know? And it's like, no, it's not, it's not a mind reader. It's a really good predictive engine because, hey, dummy, you do this every single time you sit down to watch a show. And so the first thing you always do is, you know, you Google the synopsis of the show and then you're like, okay. And then 10 minutes later you forget and you come back and go, who is so-and-so? And it's, you know, the search engine starts to predict that you're going to ask these questions because you do it every time. It's not a mind reader. It's not sitting there staring at you going, wonder what show she's going to watch next. All right, let me get up all the actors and all of their backstories because she's definitely going to want this information. It's like, no, because you, human, are, he are a creature of habit and you do this every time. Exactly. We are, as a species, actually very, very predictable. Right? Yeah. Uh, so all these behavioral patterns. I mean, this is all classical AI. So this is not even generative AI. This is, it, you know, one of the things you talk about in your talks is find, organize, generate, the three classes mm -hmm. of AI. This is regression analysis. This is the find this category. Fine. Hey, I see this pattern. Here, mm -hmm. Let's try uh, using that pattern to to show people stuff. And with every streaming service now, every streaming service now has ads, right? You know, Netflix just rolled out their ads tier. What do you think they base that data on? It's not random. No, it be well, and you have to figure that, you know, with a with the streaming services, they have to have had some kind of machine learning built in in order to do their recommendations. And so, you know, they'll ask you like, did you like this so we could recommend more or did you not like this and we'll recommend less. Even if you don't participate in that, I like this, I don't like this, it's paying attention to the DNA, basically the markers of each individual show or movie or whatever it is and saying, let me serve up more of that until something changes. I've always been fascinated by that kind of technology, you know, Spotify, Pandora, all of the music streaming services, because I personally, I wanna know like, what are those categories? How are they 
DNA marking each of these songs and artists and shows and movies and pieces of content. And then how does it all match up? Because that's, it's really just a very sophisticated recommendation engine. Exactly. And if you look at the data fields that are available. So one of the things that we have a lot of clients who have mobile apps and they use a tool mm -hmm. called Firebase. Firebase, by the way, is made by Google. Huge surprise. And when you look at the events that are available in Firebase for you to do analysis on as a user, it's pretty astonishing. Like here's exactly you know where someone tapped on the screen, what actions they took. Did they swipe up, swipe down? Which direction on the screen did they swipe? How long was a screen or part of a screen on you know, visible? And things. When you think of all these behaviors that you can do, you can build an incredible behavioral profile. You take you know someone who uses the Netflix app. Well, how long do they watch that show? Did they skip around? Do they move to favorite mm -hmm. parts? Do they skip over parts? How often do they hit the forward and back buttons on this show? And all those things become data points that again, you build profiles and you build a recommendation engine on and anyone to your point, anyone who's got a recommendation already and recommendation engine already, it is trivial to put advertising into it it's because it's just, advertising at that point is just another set of fields on the model that you already have. So mm -hmm. when we're talking about generative AI and how generative AI uses your data, it's not that different. It's all that's being different now is that that data is being fed into a model for generation, whereas previously it was just being fed into a model for finding. So if we boil it down, you know, it's sort of astonishing that people are so up in arms about these generative AI tools using their information and using their data when really they already have it. You've already given it to them in one way, shape or form. And to think that these big tech companies aren't sharing that information amongst each other behind closed doors is also ridiculous. We like to think that like Google and Microsoft are pitted against each other and they probably are in the market, but behind closed doors, they're like, hey, what do you got on Chris Penn? I got this, I'll trade you this. And you know, they're just deepening their data sets and furthering the development of their products. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, like, you know, people, you, even art, say you put, you, you made a painting, right? Like this, this lovely painting here behind me. You, mm -hmm. you make a painting and someone goes to your art show, takes a picture of the painting, writes a little caption on Instagram, posts it on the Instagram profile. Guess what? That's, that is permitted use because that has, that data has been provided by a user who has consented to uploading that data. Now, can Meta use your painting, even though someone else uploaded it? That has, that has to be resolved in a court of law, and it has not been. But the reality is, if you don't want any AI raining on your data, you have to opt out of tech. Like you said, you have to opt out of using technology. Pure, like, And not just a little bit of it, all of it. And so what I don't want to see happen as a result of this podcast episode is that everybody starts, you know, putting on their tinfoil hats and the conspiracy theories and, you know, the government, like, it's not that deep. It's really just the same information that we've been using as marketers for years to really understand personas and lookalike audiences. But there are, you know, the rules haven't changed. Don't give your personally identifiable information to these systems. Just don't do that. Build a private, secure, on your own, you know, infrastructure server and system if you need to be doing that. Like that's not new, that's not new information. And so when it comes to data privacy and security with generative AI, it's the same set of rules that have always applied to technology. Read the terms of use, make sure you understand the end user license agreement, 
and make sure you're turning off any settings. Go through your settings and set up before you start using the thing. If you're experimenting with the free versions of ChatGPT or Anthropic Claude, know what you're getting into. They, You still have terms of use terms of their service agreements that you have to agree to make sure you understand those even if you're like i just want to test it out i'm not really going to do much with it you still have to be aware of what you're getting into exactly the rule of thumb that i recommend to people is for any information working with generative ai ask yourself whether you and your boss would be comfortable with posting that information on facebook right or linkedin right posting it publicly mm -hmm. if the answer is no probably don't put it in a generative AI system, right? If, if you and your boss would be like, yeah, let's put this on Facebook. So, you know, for example, Katie, if you are working on the cold open for the Trust Insights newsletter, would you feel comfortable posting on LinkedIn? Yes, probably, right? Would you feel comfortable putting our financials on, on LinkedIn? Probably not, right? Nope. That's a real simple rule of thumb. It's like, should I do this? And to your point, one of the things that people should do, and this is part of the five Ps, is risk analysis like what is the risk if this mm -hmm. information leaks right so that is a process thing and that's also a people thing so it's purpose people process platform performance part of the process is risk analysis risk assessment what could go wrong if this information made its way outside the walls of our company right what mm -hmm. could go wrong if someone sees our financials what could go wrong if someone sees our crm data right could we be sued could we lose business to competitors if you if you're not doing that analysis as part of of using generative ai you you put yourself at risk i mean and that's true of any tech but especially now where generative ai is making it so easy to use the barrier to adoption is so low it's built into so many different systems that it can feel overwhelming of well i didn't realize i was using it i didn't know it was there <clears throat> use that same set of guidelines to say, is this information that I would want publicly shared or not? And it's as, it can be as simple as that. And if the answer is not, then don't put that information into any tech system. If you have a system specifically built to house that information like a CRM, like an accounting software, make sure you're aware of the flip side of that and how secure it is and not sharing that information. Exactly. And if you want some more information about risk analysis, risk mitigation, we actually have it in chapter 12, which is module six of the generative AI course. Go to trustinsights.ai slash AI course, and you can see a walkthrough of, of how to do this and also what your options are for fully private generative AI. If you've got some qu things you want to share about how you are using or not using generative AI and privacy issues, you want to share that, go over to our free Slack group, go to trustinsights.ai slash analytics for marketers, where you and over uh, 3,000 other marketers are asking and answering each other's questions every single day. And wherever it is that you watch or listen to this show, if there's a channel you'd rather have it on instead, go to trustinsights.ai slash TI podcast, where you can find us on almost every major platform. And while you are on the platform of your choice, please leave us a rating and a review. It does help to share the show. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll talk to you next time.